1 Samuel chapter 8 tonight. So let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can gather here tonight on Wednesday and just uh, kind of reconnect with each other and with you and, and really um, just uh, once again come to your word. And Lord, we pray that you would lead us and guide us through our, our time tonight in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8 as we see this uh, crisis in leadership and I pray that we would be able to learn some things about uh, leadership, learn some things about prayer, and lead us and guide us as we go through this chapter together. Pray for those who couldn't be here tonight for whatever reason, Lord, and just pray that you would bless, remind them of your grace, and uh, we ask that you would just uh, bless us tonight as we look into your word. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. First Samuel chapter 8. I put there crisis in leadership or another title, Be Careful What You Ask For. This is really the last message in dealing with the life of Samuel. It's not that Samuel dies in this chapter or anything, but he kind of doesn't die till um, chapter 25. We're in a transition. It's, it's kind of a transitionary uh, chapter. It, it changes from focusing on Samuel to Saul and then eventually to King David. All right, so we're in that kind of transitory phase here in chapter 8, and it's really not just from Samuel to Saul, but it's also going from how was Israel ruled during this time by judges, right? And so it was, it was transitioning from judges to actually a kingship, from Israel as a theocracy, you could think of it that way, where God was their king, to a kingship, really, of the, the, the kingship of man over, over Israel. So it's, it's kind of an important thing, and, and we can, uh, let's just read the first ten verses, and then we'll, we'll start looking at some of the things we can draw out. It says here, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes, they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to, to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even uh, to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, for they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Uh, So Samuel told the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. So when you look at this this text, I just want to remember a little bit about Samuel's leadership up to this point. And if you jump back to chapter 3 and look at verses 19 and 21, before we start criticizing Samuel... (laughs) First uh, Samuel chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, it says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan 
to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh uh, by the word of the Lord. And even over in chapter 7, remember, it's, we're once again rem- reminded of uh, Samuel's leadership. In verse 15, it says, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year, traveling to these different cities, Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah. And he judged Israel in all these places. Uh, then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there. And there he also judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. And that's where we left off last week. But it it reminds us that Samuel was a wonderful leader. Okay, he really was. One thing that this kind of draws out is you can look at this this text, chapter 8, and you can see a couple things even about prayer tonight not just leadership it's kind of like two tracks leadership and prayer you're going down both tracks tonight but um, when you stop and think about the the aspect of of Samuel you can see this rebellion of his of his sons and you know that's a very important thing when it comes to leadership but there's no indication at all in the bible to indicate that Samuel was at fault here all right, there's, we can't we can't turn the blame to Samuel because his sons are acting in a way that's not honoring to the Lord. This is a little different scenario than Eli. I mean, because that's where your mind goes, right? Oh, not again! You know, this guy's got a good his sons in charge, and just like Eli did, and it's just going to turn into a big fat mess. But according to First Chronicles chapter six twenty eight thirty one thirty three, it was Samuel's grandson who was uh, one of the singers who ministered in the house of the Lord under David. And so this is a son of one of Samuel's wicked sons. Okay, and so you, you can't blame, put blame on Samuel because his kids are not doing what they are supposed to be doing. And I've read some past people that, that well, it's all Samuel's fault. Well, not really. But there are some principles here I think we should learn. Because it, it says there that his, his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. And where were his sons' judges? They were judges in Beersheba. All right, that's about as far away <laughs> as you can get. And the, the, the most, the, the, Dan is the furthest north you can get in Israel, and Beersheba is the, pretty much the furthest south you can get. And so maybe Samuel in his wisdom, had an inkling that his sons might not be behaving, so he put them on the you know the back nine there just to get get rid of them. I don't know, but uh, it's it's important to realize that in Jeremiah chapter fifteen verse one it says, "Then the Lord said to me, even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people." So God, in talking about his people, saying, "Even if Moses," and then he includes Samuel. With Moses. So we don't want to discredit Samuel in any way because of the actions of his sons. And sometimes that's the way it is. I've known wonderful parents who have children. And when their children grow up to a certain age, they go south. Even though the parents pretty much have done everything right. They move out of the house. They go off the go over the dark side or whatever. And they do things that are dishonoring to the Lord. And 
you know, you, you would think that, well, that's the parent's fault. Well, maybe not. I mean, when, when people reach a certain age, they're held accountable for their own actions. You know, having gone through that, even with our own daughter, it's hard sometimes because you feel responsible, but you have no control, none, you know. And so you have to just give them over to the Lord and, and pray that God gets a hold of their heart, which he did in the case of, of our daughter. It was, it was wonderful, so it all worked out. But um, sometimes it doesn't work out. You know, I think of this, this kid that just blew up these people, this bomber guy in Texas. They said in the uh, biographics he was homeschooled. And then they read some of his quotes from some of his blogs. And very conservative guy, didn't seem like, wasn't radical or whatever. And I'm thinking, wow, that's kind of scary. That, you know, I don't know if, they're, if it's, he came from a Christian family or not. I have the slightest idea. But it wouldn't surprise me. You know, it just wouldn't surprise me. You just never know. And so we don't want to impugn, you know, blame on Samuel here because everything in Scripture doesn't do that. It's a different scenario than with, with Eli. When you consider the, the aspect of Israel praying for a king, as we see here, that's what they want to do. Because they looked at Samuel, he was old, and they, they thought, you know what, his kids are acting up. We don't want to go and repeat this whole thing. We, we went before, I mean, to the, in a way, it's a credit to the people, right? Because what happened when Eli's sons acted up? They didn't do anything, Remember? They just, oh, okay, gave them whatever they wanted, whatever, and they just went along with the game. Well, at least this time, they're, they're kind of standing up to it, and they're recognizing, and I think that's due to Samuel's leadership in their midst. They're recognizing, hey, you know what? Something's not right here with your kids, and so we want to go a different route. And so they, it says there in verse, uh, verse 4 that all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. And so they basically wanted a king. They wanted a king. And it's interesting that they say, Appoint for us a king, at the end of verse 5, to judge us like all the other nations. It wasn't necessarily bad they wanted a king. God promised them a king, right? I mean, that's not a bad thing. You've got to stop and you've got to ask, Okay, was this something... Of God's doing, or was this something of their doing? You can want something that's genuinely good. We're going to find out, even though you're praying for something that's good and healthy in your life, whatever, first of all, it may not be God's will. It may not be God's timing. Okay, we don't know. You've got to wait on, on the Lord, learn to wait on the Lord. The first point here under that, as far as considering God's will in this matter, is simply that, you know what, we're called to be different from the world around us. That's what we see in the first five verses. And that's what Israel just could not get through their head. I mean, when you stop and, and think about Israel and you think that, you know what, they, they are really God's chosen people, right? I mean, God specifically called them out and said, you're mine. And here Samuel's getting old and, and it's unfortunate that his sons didn't do what they were supposed to do. They were very apparently greedy. They were dishonest. They perverted justice in pretty much every way. When you look at Samuel's sons, you say, you know what? These are people that you probably don't want as judges. So we can't fault Israel here in wanting a change. Because obviously what was going on wasn't working. They weren't happy with the situation. So they confronted him. They said that appoint a king, lead us, such as all the other nations have. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, it says, 
this is what God says to Israel. He says, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. See, they should have known that after all this time, that this is not a time to chime in and say, oh, we want to be like everybody else. You know, it's, it's kind of like in a family when, you know, your, your child goes out to school and they come home and they start acting up. And, well, why do you act? Well, that's what everybody else does. Well, that's not an excuse. You know, you're not like everybody else. You're not part of their family. I don't care what they do in their family. You're part of this family. You're going to act differently. Uh, we expect that of you. And so they had this great privilege right, right in their lap. God chose them to be his very own. And they were meant to be different. But now, what? They wanted to be the same. It's, it's no different than us, really, as, as believers. God calls us to be holy. He calls us to be separate from the world, to be different. Uh, he calls us to stand out. And yet, even within the church today, what do we see? We see an effort to what? Make the church like the world. In this twisted thinking of, well, if we make the church like the world, then the world will like us, and they'll come, and they'll sit in our pews and help us fund our next building project. It's just kind of crazy talk. Because you, you understand that as a non-believer, you can't worship God. You have no relationship with God. You're lost in your sins. So the Bible very clearly says, what does light have to do with darkness? Nothing. There should be a separation there. And so we have to be careful, and yet at the same time, we're called to be in this world, right? We don't build a little fort and, okay, all the Christians in here, and we'll hide from everybody and just do our little holy huddle. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to uh, reach out to a lost and dying world and do it in a way in which uh, honors God, all right? And so you see here that they were called to be different from the world around you, but then they rejected God's will. It's the same way as rejecting God himself. It's the same thing. When you say, you know what, I don't, God, I don't, I'm not interested in your will. I don't want to hear what you have to say about this matter. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You're basically rejecting God. You're not just rejecting his will. And so when we pray for things, very practically, we should consider God's will in the matter. We shouldn't just go before God and say, well, I want this, so I'm going to start praying for it. Our first pause should be, is this something that God is bringing into my life? Is this something that God's leading? Is, is, where is God in all this? And churches on a whole have gotten in a lot of trouble because they don't take the time to consider God's will in something. You know, they just forge ahead. They come up with some great idea, and okay, well, you're just going to do this. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Are you, do you care if God wants you to do this or not? And so it's a, it's a very important factor to, to, to factor into the equation. So rejecting God's will is the same as rejecting God himself. Look at what he says here in verses 6 to 9. He says, hey, you know, give us a king to lead us, and this displeased Samuel. Why do you think it displeased Samuel? You know, it's kind of almost, it sounds like he kind of took it personally. He wasn't happy with this request. What do you mean you want a king? You know, I'm, I, I'm the leader here. I'm, I'm the one that, I mean, look at what, where, how far we've gone together. What do you mean? The reason he took it personally was because what? Like you said, these are his boys, right? 
And, you know, I mean, if you want to go right to the heart of a father, just say something about his kids. Whether they're good, bad, indifferent, whatever. It's still, it's, you know, it may be true. I mean, you may have real rascals for kids, but you know what? It still hurts. And I think that's kind of what he's dealing with here. And so he, he did kind of take it personally. It displeased Samuel when he said, give us a king to judge us. And what does Samuel do? What are you talking about now? What's, this, what's the next step? What's he do? He prays. Okay. He goes before the Lord and he prays. And he, he, he asks the Lord, what, what do I do in this situation? He was interested in considering the will of God in the matter. The very first thing he does. He doesn't go home and cry in his pillow. He doesn't, you know, wander around for a couple days going, what am I going to do now? They're going to kick me out. No, he just goes to the Lord in prayer. And that, to me, that kind of, in a way, indicates that he was, had a pretty good relationship with God. To know that it's just a natural outflow of his life when he was going through a very tragic time of receiving this news, his natural thing was, hey, I'm just going to pray to the Lord. And in verse 7, you see here the, the answer that the Lord gives him. He kind of says, hey, listen, you know, this isn't on you. It's, it's, it's on me. It's on them, really. They, he wasn't happy with the request, but you know what? They weren't rejecting Samuel. God says they were rejecting who? God. They were rejecting God. They were rejecting God himself. God was their real king. Samuel wasn't the king. He was just the leader that God raised up. And they were asking for a substitute from God himself. As a matter of fact, they were really, you might say, breaking the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me uh, in in a very real sense. Because they were looking at the king as kind of, they were going back to their kind of idolatrous ways. They were saying, we need something you know, we don't want to go through this thing like we did with Eli. And so rather than go to God and just pray about it, they just kind of inform Samuel, hey, you know, time to make a change. Here's what's going to happen. And they make this request for a king. Now, obviously, Samuel's kind of beset uh, by that. And the Lord says to Samuel in verse 7, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you, also doing to you. Now then obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So what does God do? He, he basically directs Samuel to say, you know what, you need to inform them to consider the consequences of their choice. And that's sometimes all you can do with somebody. When you're counseling somebody and they're saying, hey, I'm going down this, and you're saying, that's not a good choice. I don't agree with that. That's not going to work out. That's not good. They're going to do what they're going to do. In the end, people are people. You know, and, you know, we're not God. We, we can't change somebody's heart. You know, we can give them counsel, and that's it. And sometimes people don't want to hear it because they're not interested in God's will. They're interested in their own will. They're not considering the circumstances or anything else. And so this was the case here. These people didn't go to God in prayer about this. They just made this logical decision, I think, based upon what Mike said. They looked at 
the scenario with Eli and his sons, and they said, we're not going down that road again. We have to do something about this. Samuel's getting old. Maybe he's losing his mind. Who knows? You know, we're going to make a change. And so that's what they did. And what he tells them in verse 10 to 17, he says, basically, you see here the refusal to listen, but you see what will happen if God says yes. This is always good when you go to pray. When you pray for something, whatever it is, Ask the, the question, what if God answered my prayer, like, right now? Like, just answered it. Boom, it's, it's answered. Would that be a good thing, or would that be a bad thing? Because sometimes we pray for things, right? And, I mean, we're praying, but we, we, you know, maybe down the road, we want this prayer answered. We don't, we see the wisdom in maybe God, God waiting to answer that, whatever it might be. And so he says here in verses uh, 10 to 17, look at what he says. So Samuel told all the words of the, the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And that's it's asking is kind of like they were continuous. It wasn't just a one-time deal. They, they really wanted this thing. And so he told them everything that the Lord had said. And here's what he said in verse 11. These will be the ways of the king. So he's, he, once again, Samuel's being obedient. Right? He's doing exactly what God told him to do. He went to the Lord. He prayed, Lord, I need some wisdom here. What do I do? Hey, don't worry about it. I got this covered. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Go and tell them exactly what I'm, I'm telling you to tell them. So that's what he does. And it says, I'm going to warn you, if, if you get a king, here's what's going to happen. This is, he's going to reign over you. This is what will happen. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots, uh, to be his horsemen, and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow the ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will then take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants, your female servants, and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. So you see here that he's giving them fair warning. He will take a tenth of your flocks and basically you're going to end up his slaves. (laughs) That's how he ends it in verse 17 there. So he's saying, listen, you have to consider what you're asking for. You know, if this really takes place in real time, this is something that you're going to end up kind of regretting in the long run. And that's one thing that even when we pray for things, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3, it says this, a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge. But the simple keep going and suffer for it. See, when we're planning, when we're praying for things about our life or whatever, we always have to stop and say, okay, you know, is this God's will? What are the consequences of this decision? I mean, I, you know, over the years, we've had families come and go here and, and, you know, usually it's legitimate financial reason. They can't live in the area anymore. So they want to move wherever. And, and sometimes you can tell where their logic is when they're going through this process, because some family it's like, they just want the release from the financial burden of living in the Bay Area, and they don't care, they'll just move to wherever. They really don't care. They don't do any research. They don't see if there's a good church there. They don't, it doesn't really matter. It's, they just want relief. And um, sometimes that's not always a good move. 
Or sometimes we've had men or even women in our church who get offered a job. And sometimes they'll even come and they'll say, hey, you know, pray for me. You know, I'm considering this, this job opportunity and blah, blah, blah. And, okay, well, are you going to take it? Well, I'm, I'm praying about it. Okay, well, what are the consequences if you took it? And I've had guys tell me, you know, well, it'd be, a, it'd be kind of tough. You know, what do you mean? Well, I'd be traveling probably 300 days of the year, you know, and I wouldn't be, you know, but I bought oh, such a good deal. I mean, they're giving me so much. I mean, I can't really turn. And it's like, well, you know, that's probably not wise for your family. It's probably not wise with your kid and your, and your, your, your wife. And, you know, that's not a good decision to make. And you try to talk to them about that. Sometimes they listen. Sometimes they say, nope, going to do it. And they end up in, in a really bad situation eventually. So ask the question, what will happen if God says yes now? And then also ask the question, what will happen if God says no? And so he gives them this warning very, very clearly. He basically shows them that, look, your relationship with God right now, I mean, he's kind of the, the, the ruler of you. You're his people. You have it pretty good. Remember when you were enslaved to Egypt, and he's he's trying to bring up all these things to kind of jog their memory to say, hey, this is probably not a wise decision on your part. When you when you stop and 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 ask yourself about whether it's you know things that things that are going on in your work, things that are going on in your family, what would God do if he you know what would happen if he said yes right now? Right now, would it would it turn out to be a, a good thing or would it end up being kind of a thorn in the flesh. And so sometimes the short-term consequences are not always the best. Well, what if God says no later, Uh, which is even a more sobering thought? Um, What will happen if God says no? Look at verse 18, because this is what he's pointing out to them. He says, and in that day you will cry out in the day that you have your king. You got what you wanted. And Samuel's saying, listen, here's what's going to happen. In that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. So they did it. It's, it's all on them. But the Lord will what? Not answer you in that day. And this comes under that heading, what? Consequences. Decisions have consequences. You can't get away from that. They wanted a king because they were tired of crying out from relief for their en- from all their enemies and all this stuff. And they thought, you know what? If we had a king, at least he'd protect us. At least he'd do this, he'd do that. And he tells them, you know what? There's going to come a day when instead of crying out for relief from your enemies, you're going to be crying out for relief from your king. And guess what? God's not going to answer. He's not going to answer. The question is, if, if you ask God to get you into trouble... And he says, yes, go ahead. Will he answer when you say, hey, get me out of this mess? That's really the question. Uh, what will your attitude be when he says, no, I'm not going to answer that prayer? Um, in other words, there's consequences to these kind of decisions. And that's why, obviously, they should be made prayerfully. And they didn't do that. I mean, what are some of the, conse- or what are some of the decisions that we make in life, just as human beings, that we should really consider God's will and consider the consequences? Okay, relationships. First and foremost, probably very important. What else? Occupation. I mean, what church do you want to go to, right? You know, I'm always blessed by people who are visitors to our church, and I'll ask them, 
You know, it's your first time here? Yeah, it's our first time here. How do you, how do you, I mean, why did you come into the church? Why did you stop at this church? And I love the answer. Well, you know what? I went on the internet and listened to some messages, read the thing. I mean, I love those kind of answers. Because what's that show? That shows that, wow, they're really concerned. They're really caring about this choice. And it's not that, you know, we don't welcome other people as well. I mean, there are people that, that come and, you know, why did you come? Why well, I, I just walk by here every day and just thought I'd come in. It's like, oh, great. We're glad you're here. They don't know anything about what we believe. They're, they probably don't really care. But God can still use that. But I'm just saying that it's those kind of decisions that we really have to consider what is, is God's will in this matter. Because you know what? Some decisions, some consequences can't be reversed. You can't. You can't reverse it. And so you've got to live with that the rest of your life. Sometimes those decisions are very weighty. And so you don't want to paint yourself in a corner. You don't want to get in a situation where you're, you know, you're going down some path and you haven't even considered God's will, and yet you're just saying, hey, God bless this, and, and he does. Because <laughs> God's overriding purpose is to get your attention. And he probably knows, well, you know what? I'm not going to get your attention until you're at the end of yourself. And this poor decision you're making right now is going to lead you to the end of yourself because it's not going to work out. It's going to be devastating to you. And you know what? Maybe then you'll have time for me. So I'm going to allow you to do this. And yet there's, there's, there's consequences to our decisions. And so God's will for you now is to what? To love and to serve him in that new situation. It's kind of a, okay, you made the decision, you blew it, whatever, you're in this mess, and you've recognized it, you've confessed it to the Lord. You know, I've known people that basically live there. They live in the mess. They're unwilling to go forward. They're unwilling to stop looking at the mess and say, okay, well, what does God have for me now? Because they feel very inadequate because of the decision they made and they feel shamed and they feel just all this negative stuff and so the last thing they're thinking about is what god's will is for them now and serving them in any kind of situation at all they're just kind of paralyzed by the circumstances they put themselves in and so you have to be very very careful when you go to the lord when you ask for things what are you asking for consider his will in the matter, consider the consequences. And then the last thing here is consider the stubbornness of your own heart. Consider the stubbornness of your own heart. Look at verse 19, because our stubbornness can get us into trouble. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They just said, basically, no. We're, we're not going to listen to this stuff. You're old. You don't know what you're talking about. Your sons are out of control. Uh, and they said, no. But there shall be a king over us. Once again, they dialed down on the, the reasoning that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. See, they had this picture painted in their minds, right, of what it was going to be like to live under this glorious king. And Samuel's kind of going, that is not the picture. That's not what it's going to be like. But the stubbornness of their heart is what gets us in to trouble. Even after Samuel here rehearsed all these negative aspects. And he wasn't, he wasn't exaggerating. This is the ironic thing. I mean, this is what kings did, right? 
I mean, they did take your, your children. They, they served, you're basically in servitude to the king. The king doesn't serve the people, okay? It's kind of like the, you know, the misnomer in today's society. You know, we call people that work for the government, what do we call them? Public servants. Please. I mean, I'm not saying that every public servant is bad. I'm not saying that at all. But at the higher level of government, I mean, they have so many servants under them, it makes you sick. And that's not the way it was set up. I mean, usually you'd go to Washington and you would serve your country for a couple of years and you'd go back and you had a career. But what has happened is it's this political machine has become their career because there's so many perks and so many things that they can, they can get their hands into there. And see, that's not the way it was. Uh, you know, here, the, the king did not serve the people. The people served the king. And Samuel's kind of going, look, you know what? God is, he, he's got a king coming for you. And it's going to be a different kind of king, right? The Messiah. Because what did Jesus say? I came not to what? Be served, but to serve. And that's, that's part of the, the, the problem, I think. And we just, so many times we dial down on this stuff and we just don't want to hear any other counsel. We don't want to hear it because we got our mind made up. And, and that's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous place to be in because usually when you're in this kind of a situation, I mean, this is a major change, right? This isn't like, okay, are we going to change... What internet company are we going to use for our internet? I mean, you know, this is a major thing for Israel. This is a major decision to make, okay? And for the way they went about it and the way they're doing it is just so wrong in, in so many different ways. And that's what God is trying to show us, I think, even as Christians. That, hey, when we have to make a decision, you know, it's good to bring it to the Lord. It's good to bring it even to people within the church or the elders of the church and say, hey, you know what, I'm praying about this. What, what do you guys think? And it's been such a blessing when, you know, Ken and I and others have had the opportunity to share with, with families, be, you know, when they come and they ask us, uh, you know, a question concerning something, a decision they're going to make, because they have that, that priority of doing, doing the Lord's will. And so here they just wanted a king that would lead them into battle. It almost sounds like they wanted somebody to do what they couldn't do, right? I mean, because, I mean, up to this point, they kind of been messing up. And, you know, they, they thought, you know what? Let's just get somebody to take care of all our problems. Kind of sounds like our attitude when it comes to our own politics, if you stop and think about it. You know, if we just elect this person or we just elect this person, then, oh, everything will be great. Well, no. You know, there's still going to be terrorists. There's still going to be murders. There's still going to be bombers. There's, all this stuff is still going to go on. There's still going to be corruption. I mean, as hard as people want things to change, you're going against the flow, <laughs> seeking that change, and it's not going to come easy. I'm not saying it can't be done, but all I'm saying is we, we, we shouldn't look to any human for that kind of change because that kind of change only comes from who? It comes from God. It comes from changing hearts, one heart at a time as they come to Christ. And then in verse 21 here, it says, and when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, so it, it gives the idea, it gives the impression here that the relationship between Samuel and the people at this time were basically the people came to Samuel and said, hey, you know, uh, you're old, first of all. Your kids are really messing up, and we want a king. And they kept on doing it over and over and over. He goes to the Lord. He prays about it. The Lord says, hey, give them what they want. 
but warn them first. And so they're having this dialogue. It's not just one conversation. You know, and this is, this is something that's going on over a period of time. And they're having dialogue back and forth, back and forth. But it says they refused, as hard as he tried to convince them, that they refused to obey his voice. And then it says, you know what? All right, I've heard everything you're going to say. And then what did he do? It says in verse 21, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. It's almost like Samuel's going, do you hear this? <laughs> God, do you hear what they're saying? I mean, I'm doing everything you're telling me to do. Aren't you supposed to like change their heart or something at this point? Isn't this where they repent and go, oh no, we don't want a king. We don't, you're right, Samuel. Isn't this kind of like what happened before? No, it's not going to happen. And sometimes God's yes may be God's sovereign discipline in that individual's life. And that's hard to watch. It's very, it's very hard to watch, especially if it's a loved one. Okay, you're praying for them, and it, it seems like the situation is not getting better, it's getting worse. You know, it's just a really, really tough situation. You know, sometimes, you know, God's yes for someone is, is his way of disciplining them. And when we're, we're, we're stubbornly going down a path, and we're going to go down that path no matter what, sometimes God says, okay, you know what? Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. And see how that works out for you, pal. That's basically what he does. And so in verse 22, he tells what the, in verse 21, he says all this to the Lord. And then in verse 22, he says, And the Lord said to Samuel, once again, obey their voice and make them a king. Give them what they want, Samuel. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. And so that's how chapter 8 ends kind of a sad situation in a way because you see the stubbornness of a sinful heart and yet you know what if you're anything like me i i can think of multiple occasions when i can put myself right in israel's shoes and go yeah that was me in that situation i wanted what i wanted and i didn't care what god wanted and i was going to go ahead and do this and whatever it might be and it didn't work out too well so when god says yes it's not always a sign of his favor that's one principle you can take away. When God answers your prayer, it doesn't mean that that's God's will necessarily. It may be a sign of God opening up a door for discipline, uh, disciplining your stubborn heart. So consider God's will in the matter. Consider the consequences of your prayers and consider the stubbornness of your own heart. And just in closing, some guidelines for prayer that really pleases God. First of all, we need to be humble, right? We need to go before the Lord in humility, humble ourselves before the Lord. We don't go into God's presence demanding things. You know, start your prayer time exalting Him. Start your prayer time praising Him. Acknowledging His attributes, His, his mercy, His grace, His majesty, His greatness, whatever. Um, confess your sins. Admit that, you know what, you're not perfect. Admit that you're standing or kneeling or whatever before a holy God. At least that first step kind of prevents us from going down a path of, of being stubborn in our desire to do whatever we want. And then secondly, sing, uh, seek God's will first. That's what Matthew says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? In all things, all these things will be added to you as well. First John 5, verse 14 and 15 says, If we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we 
have what we have asked of him. So we have to stop and consider it to be the will of God. Uh, one, of the, one of the main reasons for unanswered prayer is seeking our will instead of God's will. James chapter 4, verse 3 says, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with what? Wrong motives, it says. There's something not right in your request. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So whatever you request, let your attitude always be, you know what, Lord God, if this is your will, then open up this door. And that's even in the area of healing. You know, I hear some Christians pray like they're demanding God to heal somebody. You know, oh, in Jesus' name, you know, we bind this cancer. We pray. That... That's ridiculous. Who are they to do that? Maybe God wants that person sick for a purpose. Maybe he's working out something in their life. We don't know. Does God heal? Definitely. But he doesn't necessarily heal when we demand it. So read God's word. Seek counsel from other believers, things like that. Seek his will. And then the third thing here is trust God with the answer. Because, you know what, sometimes the answer isn't what you expected, right? Sometimes um, it may not be what you wanted, but you have to learn and understand to trust God through that Um, because he he loves you, he he desires to have what's best for you in every way, just like he did for Israel. And so be careful what you ask for in in prayer before God because um, you might just get what you've asked for and it may not always be the best thing.